And hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke chapter 24 beginning at the 13th verse. Glory to you, O Lord. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem not to know the things that have happened in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them, when he broke the bread. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Lord, as we reflect on this lovely story and these powerful words, may our own hearts burn within us. Amen. Someone sent me an email yesterday uh, as I was preparing this talk. The contents of the email are, I see you are talking about heartburn tomorrow. I can bring some Rennies along. We can have a Rennie party and all go home feeling better. Well, I... Hope indeed that you do go home feeling better, but not because you've taken Rennie's. 
I hope neither my verbal indigestion nor your heartburn will spoil this morning. But rather, like those two disciples, you will go hurrying home after this morning's service, full of joy and wonder at the story of the risen Lord. But the day for the two on the road to Emmaus did not begin that way. Their day began rather in the same way it began yesterday for the parents of those Canadian ice hockey players killed in the coach cross. Or as it did for every family around the world waking up this morning to a tragedy, a great sadness or bad news. Their day began in tears, in bewilderment and in shock. Our two walkers on the road weren't part of the twelve. They weren't in the inner circle, but the next circle out. One was named Cleopas, the other unknown. So maybe we can put our own names in there, walking that road. Cleopas and Tom, Cleopas and Sarah, Cleopas and Derek. Put your name there and walk this road again. It's only been 48 hours since Jesus was laid in the tomb. And so many words have been said since that hour. So many tears shed. So many recriminations. And here they are, still talking and discussing these things with each other, going over and over the same ground again as you do at times of trouble. Their spirits are heavy. Their faces downcast. So many unanswered questions. Too many unfulfilled hopes. Too many dreams broken. Many a Christian has walked that road of disappointment, of doubt, and even despair, walking into the evening sun and the darkness of night. Many a Christian has debated or argued or questioned within themselves or with others the truth of the faith handed down, once believed fervently and passionately by them, but now it's gone cold, Now the doubts have come. So many a Christian has walked the road of doubt and disappointment. But then for these two, into that situation, out of nowhere, unseen and unheard, another person comes to join them. It is Jesus. Not that they know it or recognize him. He just slips alongside them. Not quite in the way described by a pupil in his RE homework when he wrote, the disciples were on their way to Emmaus when they were stopped by a young man who wanted a lift. I'm not sure if this was the same pupil who also wrote, after Jesus was laid in the tomb, a large builder was put in front of it. (laughs) Well, whether it was a builder or a boulder, it didn't stop God raising him from the dead. And here is Jesus now on that road. Luke writes in a lovely phrase, Jesus came up and walked along with them. Whatever the road we're walking on, Jesus longs to walk it with us. Whether it be the easy downhill road when all is well, or the rough, tough, uphill walk when things are going wrong. Whether it is the road that passes through the valley of the shadow of death or the road that is on a ridge on a bright summer's morning and you can see for miles. Whatever the circumstances of my walk today, of your walk today, Jesus wants to come alongside 
and walk it with us. But although he is there, they don't recognize him. And so they carry on walking with their burdens and their grief. Why don't they recognize him? Well, it could be that the appearance of Jesus himself has changed. After all, Mary Magdalene didn't recognize him. She thought he might be the gardener. Maybe it's just because on that road, that stony road with the light beginning to fade, their eyes are looking down as they carefully put one foot in front of the other and the light from the setting sun is distorting things. Maybe they didn't even look at the stranger who joined them, perhaps resentful that somebody's butted into their conversation. I don't know. That's something, though, we can identify with. When we walk the road of sadness or disappointment or struggle or just the road of ordinary humdrum routine life, we mostly fail to notice Jesus walking alongside with us, don't we? We find it hard to listen out for his voice and prompt, to see him in the people around us, to see the opportunities strewn in our way, to read the signs around us. Too absorbed, perhaps, in the duties of the day, our own feelings, eyes looking down rather than up and around, as it were. So Jesus surprises them, as he often does. If it were us, though, having just risen from the dead, creeping up on them and overhearing their conversation, we might have tapped them on their shoulders and said something silly like, look behind you, it's me. But there was none of that. Having listened to them for a while, he asks teasingly, innocently, what are you discussing together as you walk along? It's a leading question, and it stops them in their tracks. It's such an authentic story, isn't it, with something like that. They, they just can't believe they're being asked this question. And with a touch of irritation, they say, Are you the only one who doesn't know the things that have happened here today? What's the matter with you? And Jesus plays along. What things, he says. You get the sense that he's enjoying this a little bit. That he's having a little tease with these doubtful Christians. And so they start to tell their story. Their heart, pour out their hearts. And in the middle of it, there is that little phrase, we had hoped. We had hoped. I'm sure that every one of us, if I asked you now to sit down and complete the sentence, I had hoped that. You could do that for something in your lives, couldn't you? Lots of things in your lives. For yourselves, for your children, for your parents, for all sorts of things. For these two, of course, the hope had been that Jesus was going to be the new king of Israel, ousting the Romans and bringing in a new society. For us, it is something in ourselves, in other people, in life, or in God that has not turned out as we had hoped or expected or believed we deserved. We all carry unfulfilled hopes, or maybe, I should say, hopes not yet realized. 
And so the two move on to tell the stranger the story that's begun to circulate since morning about the empty tomb. At first, the words of the women are treated as nonsense and female hysteria by wishful thinking. But when the men go to check it out to put to bed this story, this nonsense, they do indeed find that there is an empty tomb. But although Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, as yet, not to any men. Spiritually speaking, women usually get there before the men. Did you know that? Even when the men see the empty tomb for themselves, they don't believe that the women have seen Jesus. Mark says plainly, when they heard from Mary Magdalene that Jesus was alive, they did not believe it. So now, these two get a bit of a ticking off from Jesus. How foolish you are! How slow to believe! And then he gives them a back-to-basics lesson, starting at the beginning of the Old Testament. It starts off as a ticking off, which might come as a bit of a shock to these two from this stranger, but bit by bit it begins to change. As they walk along getting nearer to Emmaus, something is going on inside. Their hearts are burning within them. You ever had that feeling of the good feeling of heartburn? You're deep in conversation with someone. It might be the start of falling in love. The first time you saw your first child. It might have been the start of your conversion. You remember John Wesley in that meeting room in the city of London when his heart was strangely warmed? That's how it was for him. It may have been when you were prayed for and hands laid on you or when you were deep in conversation with someone you feel you've bonded with and inside there is this growing feeling of warmth and a sense of coming home. That's exactly what is happening to those two. Well, we could all wish for more conversations like that with Christian friends and non-Christian friends alike. And so in the light of the setting sun, the walk has passed quickly before they know it, they've arrived at their out-of-town house. Jesus again kind of playing with them makes as if to move on, but they won't have it. Uh, He does not, though, impose himself on anyone, but allows us, them, to do the inviting. Jesus knocks on the door, and it is for us to open it and invite him in, or open it and keep him standing on the doorway, or not open at all. These two urge him strongly, it says, to stay. Perhaps they took hold of his arm. You must come in with us. It's too late, too dangerous for you to go traveling. There's plenty of room. We want to hear more. Please come and stay with us. Do you ever urge the Lord with pleading and urging to come in and stay with you and meet with you and go on talking to you? He doesn't need it, but we sometimes need to feel that sense of urgency. And that's what happens. The three of them go in. A meal is rustled up some bread on the table and whatever else is in the larder. And before they start to eat, Jesus takes the bread and gives thanks. And at last the scales fall from their eyes and the wax out of their ears. This is the man they have seen breaking bread before and giving thanks. This is the man that they were told about by the inner twelve when he had that last meal with him and said, This is my body. 
And strangely, as soon as that moment of recognition has come, Luke says Jesus was gone. Gone. Actually on his way back to Jerusalem. But their jaws drop, their eyes widen, and a big smile, I guess, came across their faces. Of course, says Cleopas, how could we have not recognized him? My heart was burning and pounding away for all he was worth. Mine too, says the other one. You know what? We've got to go back and tell the others. And with that, they get up, maybe grab a bit of bread and whatever else is on the table, and set off to walk the seven miles back. It's dark now. It is dangerous. But this can't wait till morning. So back they race to find the others, only to discover that Jesus has got there first. Suddenly the tiredness and the grief have gone. But not the questions. It is a most wonderful story, this, with many a telling phrase that repays pondering over and us putting ourselves in the sandals of those two. And in a few minutes, we'll come and take bread and wine and reenacting that meal, just a piece of bread and a sip of wine. But as we take them both, we recognize Jesus and he recognizes us. A few years ago, the BBC made a documentary about the death of Princess Diana. It was called Seven Days That Shook the World. They were indeed extraordinary days, and everyone here can remember them. But you know, the seven days that really shook the world, that really changed the world, the most important week in the whole of history was that week beginning with a ride into Jerusalem, ending in that Resurrection morning. And these two people, of whom we know virtually nothing, these two nobodies, were the first, amongst the very first people to have this wonder of wonders revealed to them. And here this morning, 50 or so of us, we have all, in one way or another, experienced the risen Christ. Or at least I hope we have, and if you haven't, Today can be that day. And you will know your heart burning within you with the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and is walking alongside you on your journey through and into life. Amen.